Hey guys, real quick, if you haven't had a chance to head on over to heroparanormal.com, please do. We have new Space Wolf Research t-shirts available for sale under the shop section. We also have books available over there. And um, for the price of a boutique cup of coffee a month, you can access all of the content behind the paywall. And there's a ton of it. You can also access that content via Patreon. Just search for Hero Paranormal. And if you're listening to this via YouTube, please, please, please like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. I will most likely never be monetized for a variety of reasons, the truth being one of them. But if you like, share, and subscribe to the podcast, you will be helping me break through the algorithm of control. The shadow ban is real. Enjoy. Blast off in my time machine. Third eye feeling like it need visine. Blast off. Blast off. Blast off. Blast off. Come blast off in my time machine. Third eye feeling like it need visine. Blast off. Blast off. Blast off. Blast off. Blast off on an unbelievable episode of the Hyper Anomalous Esoteric Research Organization podcast a.k.a. Hero Paranormal. Broadcasting from the base at La Madre Mountain, just south of Area 51. My name is Ryan, the anomalous ambassador of the airwaves, bringing you an unbelievable episode today. On today's episode, we have someone who has worked in proximity of classified aerospace projects. He is a United States Air Force Office of Special Investigation retired special agent who worked for AFOSI. Richard Doty gained the majority of his notoriety with the Dulce Base and the alleged location of a secret seven-story military facility inside the Archuleta Mesa. How did this all come about? Well, it all came about because of a gentleman named Paul Benowitz. Benowitz was an electronics entrepreneur who built devices for Kirtland Air Force Base, also for NASA. He lived close to the base and started picking up strange transmissions on his equipment. He also began to see UFOs flying around the skies over where he lived and over the military base. He started to believe he was receiving transmissions from aliens. So he contacted the Air Force and told them what he was witnessing. Benowitz was actually seeing highly classified aircraft. And he was tapping into national security programs that he shouldn't have had access to. Rumors began to spread that Benowitz was seeing aliens and tapping into their communications. He started talking to more and more people and detailing his experiences in a paper called Project Beta. Benowitz seemed to be getting too close to top secret projects. And 
was becoming a very aggressive UFO researcher. Richard Doty is a former special agent for the U.S. Air Force Office of Special Investigations. He was tasked with feeding false information to Benowitz and other UFO researchers. To protect national security, he would spread half-truths and disinformation. His job was to make Benowitz believe that there was an impending alien invasion because he was really observing secret Air Force projects. The only way to discredit Benowitz was to just let him run with the ball. And Doty knew how to let that happen. It wasn't hard because Benowitz was already doing it. Now, where things get strange is after a while, Doty even started to believe that what Benowitz was seeing was extraterrestrial in nature, because he himself couldn't completely explain some of the objects and lights. We're going to talk to Rick. He's got a lot of information, and we're going to ask him about a lot of things that he has a lot of knowledge about. During his counterintelligence days, Richard Doty was briefed into the U.S. program which investigated UFOs and extraterrestrial contact. He read a document that summarized an exchange program between the U.S. and an extraterrestrial race. He has seen reverse-engineered craft. He has been to Area 51 and worked with projects. He claims he's walked past rooms and seen real aliens being videotaped while sitting next to two government officials who were trying to telepathically communicate with it. In the past, he has said that he was part of an actual abductions unit. Now, let me be completely clear. This is not the juiciest of stuff surrounding Richard Doty. He's an amazing and incredible guy and at the center of ufology itself. He has been a member of the Advanced Working Group and a member of the very mysterious organization known as the Aviary. The list goes on and on. Mystery and the most top secret projects and programs always seem to have tendrils of connection, which one way or another come within the bounds of Richard Doty. And he's just a great guy. I've really enjoyed speaking with him in the past, and I just know that this podcast is going to delve into areas that will blow some minds. He never disappoints. He's one of the good guys, in my opinion. He's done what he has to do to keep our national security safe, and done so from the perspective of a now very real ufologist. I absolutely love hearing about his time working at Area 51. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. And a day in the life of Richard Doty would seem like a Hollywood movie to the rest of us. The folks that he speaks with on a regular basis, his friends and acquaintances in the intelligence community, and Many of the things he's been involved with, is involved with, and will be involved with are absolutely fascinating. He grew up in a military family, then served our great country after attending intelligence courses taught by the Defense Intelligence Agency 
and the Central Intelligence Agency, he was hired by the Air Force Office of Special Investigations and served as a counterintelligence officer at Kirkland Air Force Base. He worked at the Nevada Test Site Detachment 3, Groom Lake, Nevada, Area 51. He also served AFOSI European Headquarters Wiesbaden as a counter-espionage agent. He's worked for the Institute for Advanced Studies with Hal Putoff and is featured by Gaia TV's Cosmic Disclosure. The one, the only. Mr. Richard Doty, welcome to the Hero Paranormal Podcast. Thank you, Ryan. Good to be on the show. Oh, it's great to have you on. I'm, I'm really excited to talk to you. There's a lot of questions I have. There's been a lot of interesting things related to, uh, well, for lack of a better word, non-human intelligences and UAP, UFO experiences, uh, not only in the United States, but also these recent events in Peru. We have whistleblowers who are going before Congress and saying outlandish things that although people in the UFO community have been aware of it for quite some time, if you're just uh, a regular Joe watching this on the news, this is pretty fascinating stuff. Oh, yes. I agree with you. <laughs> a lot of very, very interesting uh, UFO, UAP-related uh, information or phenomena has happened in the last uh, 18 months. It's mind-blowing. It's a great time to be alive for this stuff. And I'm just going to I'm going to just uh zoom right into what is in in my opinion just absolutely stunning, which is these experiences people are having with non-human intelligences both in Las Vegas and Peru. And some of the similarities at least from the outside looking in, these entities seem to be similarly described. What are your opinions of this? Uh, yeah, I think you could uh, draw a, a relationship between the incident in um, Peru uh, in, uh, in June and July, uh, even occurring now in August, and the incident that happened uh, in April, May in uh, Las Vegas. Uh, similarities in the uh, description of the entities that are reported by uh, the villagers in Peru. And of course, the uh, the uh, images and the uh, uh, videos that came out of the incident in Las Vegas. Yeah, and you know, I had so many questions written down in my notebook to ask you because, by for all intents and purposes, you really are um, someone who has worked in uh, well, basically a man in black. You're somebody who has worked. You've walked the walk, talked the talk, and you have had to uh, basically deal with and been in close proximity with top secret special projects and protected national security as part of your job. My question is, have you ever had a chance to see any of these reverse engineered crafts, much like the whistleblowers are talking about? Yes, yes. The um, I was in... Uh, Area 51 is a counterintelligence officer on two different occasions in the 80s. And I had uh, learned about, uh, in, my, in my job as a counterintelligence officer, our job was to uh, protect 
uh, special access programs or sense of compartment and information. And uh, if there was some threat made or uh, some form of the information got out, uh, we were to set up a counterintelligence operation uh, to protect the uh, the uh, the uh, uh, operation or the or the project. So, yes, uh, the Cash Landrum case that happened in 1980 in Texas. Uh, although I wasn't in Area 51 at that time, they eventually brought that craft back to uh, Area 51, and I learned that it was a extraterrestrial craft, but we couldn't figure out how the propulsion system worked. We were able to take it off, and we put on our own propulsion system, which was a nuclear propulsion system being tested at that time period. And in 1980, uh, they, they tested the craft by flying it around a Nellis test and training range uh, for uh, weeks and weeks and found it to be, to be uh, operating normally. And so then they tried to fly it from uh, Nevada to Webb Air Force Base in, uh, in Texas. And uh, along the way, they encountered some problems with it. Uh, the, some some uh, type of mechanical defect uh, caused the, a uh, container which housed uh, uh, radioactive material to break open and uh, eventually spilled some radioactive material on the ground. The craft landed in a field. Uh, mechanics uh, made some repairs on it, and then they turned the craft around and flew it back to Nellis uh, uh, Test Training Range. And that craft I saw in 1983 in a hangar and uh, was told that that was a reverse engineered craft. So that was one. I saw um, one other one flying uh, right around 1985 time frame. And um, we watched it and we were uh, concerned about some activities that were, were occurring outside the perimeter. This craft was gonna fly north uh, towards the northern perimeter of the Nellis Test and Training Range, and then turn around and come back. And there were there were people outside the perimeter, uh, so we were concerned about what they were going to photograph and, and what they were going to uh, see. Uh, but fortunately, uh, the craft was able to turn around before it got to the perimeter, and it flew back to the base at Grim Lake or Area 51. So yes, I saw, those are the two I saw. Now, uh, Although I knew where S2 or S4 was located, I was never down in the uh, underground facilities at S4 uh, where uh, uh, Bob Lazar was allegedly working. I, I didn't have a need to know to go down there. I was at S2, which was the administrative control area above ground, uh, but never went down in S4. That's fascinating. And, you know, if these craft are, these reverse engineered craft are, in fact, as you said, flying around and we are, we are, we are playing with them. I've heard a lot of talk about, well, even in the whistleblower uh, testimony before Congress, 
that the government is in possession of some of these downed craft, which may be where we are gathering much of this technology. And I'm noticing that there is a very poignant push towards consciousness studies in and by people who used to be UFO affiliates, UFO researchers, UFO entrepreneurs. It seems like consciousness is the new catchphrase. And I'm wondering, is this because this could possibly be related to the possibility of flying these craft? Do you know how they are flown? No, I don't have any technical knowledge about the crafts, uh, how, how they operate, uh, how you would fly them, their avionics or anything like that. I uh, never had the uh, need to know it, and I was never briefed into the program. But a lot of these crafts, uh, some of the crafts, I should say, have been around a long time. And then uh, I left government service in 1988, although I did work for Dr. Putoff, the Institute for Advanced Studies, from 94 to 2007, and I did have some access to uh, DARPA information because Dr. Putoff worked on a number of DARPA projects during that time frame. But um, uh, some of these crafts, as I understand, uh, speaking with people in the know, uh, have been found uh, recently, as recently as as the uh, as 2010. So. Uh, Another thing you have to understand is this. When I was in, uh, during the time frame of about 1977, 78 to 1988, we knew, uh, the United States government knew of five uh, alien or extraterrestrial races that had been visit, visiting Earth. Uh, number one would be the Evans, the ones that crashed in Corona, or Roswell, New Mexico. And uh, the one live one that we had in captivity from 47 to 52. And we had that craft. And, um, but we had a number of other craft from different species. Uh, Dr. Uh, Wendell Stevens, uh, Lieutenant Colonel, retired Air Force, was on the first DART team or down aircraft recovery team. And he talks about, uh, in great lengths, of course, he passed away, but he talked about, uh, the, the, the problems they had was trying to understand the uh, technologies of these different crafts when they realized they all came from a different star group, a different civilization. Uh, they all had different technologies, different propulsion systems. And so we weren't dealing with the one technology that we had to understand. We were dealing with, back then, five different technologies that we had to understand. Mm. Uh, today, today they might, there might be more than, than, than those five. Yeah, that, that is uh, quite a quandary when you're trying to reverse engineer something. And it, it seems apparent that at least in some of the reverse engineered craft, as you mentioned, that there is some part of the unit or units that are uh, utilizing radioactive materials. And... I've heard rumors coming out of the rumor mill, this is from a variety of sources, that this is why segments of the government that are involved uh, with radiation, uh, such as NEST coming out of the Department of Energy, that they 
are often called when these when these craft go down. And I'm glad that you mentioned Dart um, as well, because it seems as if an array of different uh, people are needed when when these crash recoveries take place. Do you have any information on how those go down? Well, in early days, uh, and this is coming from Wendell Stevens and one other person who uh, who's still alive, and I'll let them speak for themselves, but uh, during uh, the early days, uh, they didn't understand the technology. They didn't understand uh, what the, the materials that were uh, in these crafts they found. And there are a lot of them they found crashed. Uh, I'll give you a story about one that it crashed in, uh, in western uh, part of Nevada, and near a, a mine, and mine, a active mine. I think it was a tungsten mine. Uh, the miners uh, were surveying different areas to dig uh, different uh, shafts for the for the tungsten, and they came up on this huge craft that was partially buried in the dirt, uh, not knowing what it was. And this was back in the the, the late 50s. They uh, started digging it out, trying to figure out what it was. And when they did get it uh, dug out, and they used machinery to do it, uh, they tried to open it, and they couldn't open it. But then suddenly, six of the uh, miners became extremely ill. Uh, and, of course, this, the foreman at the scene realized it must be from this big object that's sitting there in the, in the, in the desert. So they... they, they uh, Pulled away from it and notified the uh, sheriff's department. The Emerald uh, Esmeralda County Sheriff's came out and realized that pr- probably something from uh, the nearby base, which he knew didn't know a lot about, but knew there was a base out uh, near uh, Groom Lake. Uh, he notified uh, the uh, people at the Nevada test site, which is also within the Nellis Test and Training Range. And of course, everyone knows that back in those days, they were uh, uh, testing nuclear weapons above ground. Uh, some people from there came out, looked at it. Of course, they had suits on and realized it was something not from this earth. And eventually the Air Force came out and recovered it. And we had that in captivity. And they realized that the propulsion system, something was within the propulsion system was spurring out uh, some kind of material that made these miners sick. So they uh, they had to wear hazmat suits any time they went in. But eventually they withdrew a pod that contained whatever the, the substance was. But ironically, it wasn't radioactive. Hmm. It was hazardous, but it wasn't radioactive. And uh, once they got that pod out, uh, then they uh, neutralized the buried that, I believe. And uh, so... That's just one example of of this of these crafts being deadly to, to humans. And I think uh, some of the testimony by Captain Grush, uh, he alluded to that. They were not that was just one of the cases. There was another case that occurred also in Nevada, uh, whereby uh, miners who found it it was it was actually right uh, almost uh, right on top of this uh, mining. Uh, uh, miner, I think there was a potash miner. I wasn't tungsten, but anyways, the miners come to work one morning and find this object there, and 
and this was in the 60s, uh, early 60s, and realized that it was probably not one of ours. Uh, there were, I guess, smarter miners, and they immediately notified the authorities, uh, the Atomic Energy Commission, which, of course, uh, later became the Department of Energy, went out there with teams to recover it. And that was the first one that uh, uh, Wendell Stevens uh, talked uh, in great length about at a, at a UFO convention. Uh, and this also was uh, it spurred out deadly fumes. And um, so deadly, they decided to bury it right there. And, 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 that's, what they, and that's what they did. So that's, that's two instances that uh, uh, whereby these craft had uh, uh, some kind of toxic material that uh, would harm humans. I don't know that – I think a couple of those miners died, later died, of, of breathing in the, the fumes of whatever this was. Very interesting. And it does seem as if humans are easily harmed, especially when in proximity to some of these exotic propulsion systems. And Rick, I have to ask you, because this is something kind of making the rounds this year, although it has been uh, rumored and spoken about in certain circles for quite some time. And that is the harm done and the data set which has been collected by groups. Uh, many, many of them involve people from the Invisible College. We don't have to go into naming these folks, but there is what is beginning to be widespread, at least in the public domain, and that is something called interference syndrome. I believe some uh, slides have been leaked from the office of Dr. Kit Green, the CIA doctor. He had uh, a lot of knowledge and a lot of information regarding this, and it does appear as if people who are in close proximity to some of these exotic propulsion systems, some of these exotic craft, and for all intents and purposes, high strangeness in general, and certain locations which are paranormal hotspots, it is akin to, I guess, similar to Havana syndrome, but different in that it appears that a lot of these people are very high level, you know, aerospace engineers and the like, scientists, very top performing individuals. Yet when they get their brain scans, they, they, their brains are quite literally uh, riddled with dead spots. Not to say they don't still function, but it appears as if their IQs don't go down, yet they do have harmful adverse health effects. And interestingly, in some cases, it appears as if they have downloads of sorts. What is your opinion of or have you heard or have any information related to interference syndrome and, and what's been taking place? Well, this is interference syndrome, or uh, back in the days when I was around, they call it alien syndrome, mm -hmm. uh, alien contact syndrome, um, has been investigated not just by uh, uh, the CIA and uh, a number of scientific and medical universities. I know that uh, Dr. Kitts, some of his notes was leaked out. Uh, I worked with Dr. Green for many years. Um, and uh, not talking about some of the others, not naming any of the other scientists that were involved in this or our medical people, uh, great neurosurgeons, well-named neurosurgeons, 
uh, neurologists uh, and other other medical personnel. Um, back in the uh, the sixties, um, some of the abductees uh, that that we first learned about, uh, they also had problems. Uh, we didn't recognize it quite the same as we do today. We didn't have the the technology, medical technology of uh, brain scans or uh, MRIs or uh, CAT scans back then. Uh, but they knew there was something wrong with these people that had actual face-to-face contact of uh, the third kind with these with these extra, extraterrestrials. There are a number of cases uh, that are that were contained in the classified digest of uh, people that had, had had some injuries, brain injuries, uh, and other uh, some. Uh, in one particular case, the three men that had a had a contact. Uh, military personnel that had contacts with ETs in a, on a military base, uh, missile base, a missile uh, Minuteman missile base, uh, they lost their sight, uh, and they didn't. Uh, there, there wasn't a craft around them. Uh, the craft was some distance away, but these ETs that they came up and faced face to face, these three airmen lost their visions in both eyes. Now, fortunately. Uh, after the, e- the ETs had left, uh, they, uh, they, they were blinded at the time, and they, uh, when they were found, uh, they were taken to hospital, and eventually their vision came back. Mm-hmm. But uh, you have to stop and think about that and trying to rationalize why would the ETs be able to blind somebody? Was it because they didn't want... Uh, th- that person to see something they were wearing or, or had or utilized uh, because their vision came back. At, 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 you know, I, I don't I don't remember. It was a couple of weeks later or whatever it was. But uh, while they were in the hospital, eventually the, the, their vision came back. And another thing that the uh, this report said was that the optic nerve uh, of these three men, uh, a a uh, coating. Uh, was over over their optic nerve. Uh, they don't know where that coating came from, but eventually it wore away. It wore wore off, and, and they had normal sight after that. So uh, that's kind of it's just kind of scary to think that the these extraterrestrials have come here on Earth and have this great power to do all these things that can blind people or can can uh, disrupt their their memories, uh, uh, manufacture holes in their brain or take out parts of their brain that doesn't affect their cognizant functions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think in a recent uh, 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 speech, or I should say conversation I had with somebody that was in the know that studied this and also studied the uh, Havana syndrome, that it, it seems like pieces of their brain was removed. They could still function normally, but... They would get headaches and things like that, but uh, they don't know how that happened or what, how how something could could uh, go inside a brain, human brain, and take out a small piece of it. It it is remarkable technology when it's compared to you know what we have to just be able to mist you know eyewitnesses and you know basically shield themselves from being seen and then it, their sight comes back. I think that's fascinating. And that kind of brings me to a lot of the cloaking, which has been described by experiencers 
and people who have been eyewitness to some of these non-human entities and craft, not only in the Las Vegas event with when a family called 911, but also in this Peruvian event, in both events, there seems to be the use of some sort of mist or cloaking technology. Do you have any insight as to how or what is being used to cloak these entities? Well, I know that we, the United States government, has uh, highly classified projects dealing in that area, and they're experimenting with them. Even during my time in in the late 80s, uh, they were... Uh, Sandia National Laboratories had a project uh, that was uh, they where they could actually cloak a vehicle or cloak a, a tank in a battle field or even planes, uh, but uh, nothing like what what we see and what's been photographed in Peru or in Vegas or there's other incidents uh, uh, where this mist occurs, uh, but you gotta understand it. These aliens, at least some that we knew back in, in the 80s, were thousands of years more advanced in technology than we are. So they may have the technology to do things that we couldn't even ever imagine doing with our current uh, uh, thought process and our technology. Yeah, they really do seem to um, have, have all, all, the, all the bells and whistles, all the technology at their fingertips. And this kind of leads me to, you know, this this fearful factor, this possibility that their tech is so, so above ours that we we do in some cases seem like a harvest of sorts. And there's a lot of rumors of that in the UFO community. And my question is, in the Peruvian case, this 15 year old girl, I believe the first victim or the first one who had interaction with these entities, at least recently, this this has been going on for some time, but at least recently, uh, she had lacerations on her neck. And it was at this point when men in the village went out and looked for whatever assailants might be out there. They weren't expecting extraterrestrials or anything along those lines, but that's what they found. And my question is, there has long been rumors in the UFO community about human mutilations, because many of us know about the cattle mutilations. It is much more widely accepted in the community. However, there does seem to be this dark underbelly where there are cases of human mutilations and deaths uh, in in close proximity to some of these non-human entities that come and visit us. And my question is, have you come across any information regarding that why do so many cases seem to come from South America and Central America, and are they happening everywhere? Well, um, this is kind of a sensitive area because uh, I actually had access to information regarding this subject matter back in the 80s. In fact, we investigated a number of different incidents where humans were mutilated, uh, severely harmed in some manner, or even killed after a, uh, a UFO encounter. Um, but uh, we couldn't we couldn't determine why. Uh, obviously, uh, the investigative process ended with us finding the 
the, the, the bodies or talking to the humans that were uh, mutilated and survived. Um, and, and they were uh, either brought into a ship or there were some kind of an encounter, uh, for instance, a, uh, uh, a security guard, an Air Force security uh, person on the perimeter of a, of a missile, I mean, an aircraft uh, launch area, uh, uh, B-52s on alert with nuclear weapons, and this uh, security policeman sustained uh, pretty brutal injuries by walking up on uh, these two ETs uh, in, the, in like three o'clock in the morning, and uh, them, they harmed him. They actually attacked him. And um, why? Uh, we don't know, and because we couldn't get them to, to find out. So, kind of the investigative process ended there. We could just try to imagine what they were trying, what these ETs were trying to do. And now they had this uh, security guard with an M16 rifle uh, blocking their way, and so. They harmed him, uh, attacked him in a way. Uh, they shot these, uh, he said, lasers through his skin, uh, paralyzing him, uh, damaging, uh, damaging the trigger, trigger me mechanism of the M16 rifle so he couldn't shoot it. So obviously they knew that was a weapon. And, and uh, he fell to the ground while they went inside the... Uh, the um, alert area where the B-52s were with uh, nuclear weapons on board. Uh, one of the nuclear weapons was was damaged, and uh, they found that later. And uh, eventually, the the, the the Air Force uh, security guard was uh, transported to hospital, and he recovered. But uh, the doctors couldn't figure out what caused these burn marks, and he was trying to explain they were lasers. Or I don't think he called them lasers. I think uh, remember reading a report. It was uh, light beams uh, that came out of their hands. Now, um, so all we can say is we can guess that or speculate that number one, they were trying these ETs were trying to get inside to examine or disable a nuclear weapon, and they encounter a security guard. They disabled him, they didn't kill him, but disabled him. So they could get in and get out and, and do their uh, whatever they were after. Uh, but there are some cases where humans were found dead after an ET contact. Uh, one particular one was a, uh, Missouri many years ago where uh, a man uh, in, uh, 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 on a farm, it's on a farm in Missouri, uh, the uh, uh, ranch or uh, farm owner and a hired hand was out in the field and the son and the, and the mother saw this huge craft land uh, as if it was landing right on top of these two men. And uh, there, it was on the ground for a period of time, and then it took off. Well, the son then ran out there to check on the father and the, and the hired hand, and they were dead. Now, is that, did, they, did these craft come in to land and didn't realize that these humans were there? and just la have accidentally landed on it? Was it an accident, or was it purposeful? Um, so, you know, these, these are just some of the cases that I, I know and talk about. It. I don't really like to talk about the real gory stuff because, uh, again, we, we, we can't figure out why uh, there are some ET races that would, would, would harm humans. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I don't blame you there. It's it's pretty dark stuff, and it gets really ugly really quick. And I appreciate that. And I appreciate you mentioning the the um, security guard with the M16 because that reminds me of something that I'm I'm drawing a parallel with uh, with these seven foot tall aliens or these larger aliens similar to what we're seeing in Peru and what we're uh, experienced in Las Vegas, and that is um, going into the Dulce underground base theory. No one um, most likely knows more about the Dulce underground base than yourself. And my question is, I know that there is a lot of lore surrounding this. Um, however, there is, of course, purportedly an event that involved Phil Schneider and apparently he claimed that they surprised similar to the security guard they surprised um, some of these seven foot tall non-human entities and were engaged in a firefight of sorts have you heard anything about that case or any validity to any of those claims well uh <clears throat> I find the Dulce base uh, story to be absolutely uh, 100% false. Mm-hmm. Uh, number one, Phil Schneider was a high voltage technician, worked on uh, electric uh, lines. His injuries came from uh, an accident that he had uh, on the electric line, lo- losing fingers, uh, a wire struck him in the chest. Uh, uh, and, and, the, and the arm and the neck. Uh, so his, he lied. Uh, he was confronted some years ago by Phil Class about that because Phil Class actually got his uh, medical records. Uh, of course, this is before HIPAA, but uh, he was and, and confronted uh, Schneider about it. Uh, I was there at the time. Uh, Schneider wouldn't talk to anybody after that. Uh, a couple weeks later, uh, we were supposed to have a uh, sit down with with uh, Schneider. Uh, we did, and uh, he confessed. Mm-hmm. He he just said he just said a lot of things I told you wasn't wasn't accurate. And we said, well, your injuries didn't come from any firefight uh, down uh, uh, a mile under Dolphy. They came from the power line incident. And he wouldn't answer back for, on that. So, and that's really the only time I ever had uh, had uh, contact with him. I... Um, the Dolphy base, uh, we talk about, we actually talk about Archuleta, Archuleta Peak, which is next to Dolphy, and this is where all these strange things are happening. I know for a fact that in uh, beginning in 1979, the United States Army uh, contracted the land on top of Archuleta Mesa with the Hikalura, uh Apache Reservation for a training area. Uh, the 10th Special Forces Group out of Fort Carson, Colorado, used that area for training. So the helicopters that were spotted around there were uh, training. And the uh, but during that time frame, the um, United States uh, government, United States Army, formed a Delta Force. And the Delta Force was trained uh, up in that area. Uh, so. A lot of the things that people were seeing uh, in and around the, the Archuleta Mountain area uh, was from uh, military testing. Now, 
we spent a great deal of time when, when I was investigating Paul Benowitz uh, up there. And uh, we, we uh, spoke to so many different people, uh, uh, State Trooper Gabe Valdez, uh, who was stationed up there in Chama. Uh, he took us out to different areas and showed us where he thought the underground facility was located, uh, the entrances. Well, we did find two old mine shafts that went into the mountain, but they stopped. They were, they were blocked off. So, uh, and we finally got a hold of the mining company when I was working with, with the government. Uh, and we, we, we got a hold of the mining company. We got records, and there was a mine there. Uh, it was shut down back in the 60s. Uh, I can't remember what, what they were uh, mining, but uh, they did have a, a facility in the mountain, but it didn't go down, uh, you know, two miles or, or 10,000 feet or whatever the uh, people are saying now. So uh, I don't believe anything about the Dulce Wars. Uh, I don't believe there's any bases under Dulce or Archuleta uh, Peak or Archuleta Mesa. I, I appreciate your honesty and transparency on that because it, 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 nobody's been able to find it. So that, that actually correlates quite well with reality and um, bringing up this, this scenario of uh, the technologies that some of these non-human entities have Grush, the whistleblower uh, who testified before Congress mentioned that we were in possession of some of these craft. And obviously, when he said we, I'm assuming that he meant military contractors and not the government itself, so that there is some plausible deniability. And I know a lot of people have worried and wondered that because of this testimony, these craft may be in the process of being moved. And in your opinion, is this something that would be held by the military, the government itself, or more likely by military contractors. Uh, so there's some, some bit of plausible deniability there. Well, I think there is uh, some evidence that, uh, or a lot of evidence actually, that Lockheed uh, has in his possession at least four crafts. Uh, I think there's a number of people, even a representative of Lockheed mm -hmm. uh, said that we have uh, exotic technology uh, under uh, special access programs. And he didn't say UFO, but exotic, exotic technology, uh, you know, you put two and two together, that's what we kind of figure what, what it is. Um, he would say where it was. Uh, there are a lot of places that are uh, still secretive other than Area 51. And there's a lot of places on uh, the Tutton Ellis Peston tra training range that uh, is uh, that could be not just Area 51 or Papoose uh, Lake area, but there's a number of other areas around there that uh, uh, the government has spent uh, billions of dollars digging underground uh, uh, facilities. Uh, Phil, uh, George Knapp uh, did uh, a couple uh, stories about that on his uh, KLAS, also on uh, Coast to Coast about a contractor that he knew that was employed out there that specifically did underground uh, facilities. Uh, and he had been out there for like 15 years building them. He wouldn't say where or, or what. Or, but So uh, I think the government had planned this in advance. 
There's a number of areas they could hide these things in. China Lake out in California. Uh, there's uh, two facilities there that are highly classified and that uh, uh, could very well house underground facilities. Uh, Dugway Proving Grounds in Utah mm-hmm. could be another one, although, although I, I know very, very little about that. Uh, but when I was at uh, 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 Groom Lake Complex, uh, I also visited Tonopah Air Force Base, which is in the western part of the Nellis Training Range, and that's where the F-117s housed. A lot of other secretive operations are done out there. But there's two facilities, Wellington Complex uh, in the southern part of the test range, and uh, and it's called, and this is actually what it's called, Code, code Name Mike. Code Name Mike. M is, is a, Mike is a phonetic for, for M in the military uh, phonetics, uh, which is highly highly secured facility. There's an underground entrance. I don't know where it goes. Uh, people in Google, Google Earth, uh, UFO uh, investigators uh, claim that, that they've seen the doors open and close, uh, but they don't know what's down there. So these are some of the places that these crafts could be hidden. Uh, and as far as the contractors go, um, when we get something like this, even back in the 80s when I was around, uh, we, DARPA, would, would uh, hire the contractors to do the reverse engineering or the analysis. And that's why uh, the Air Force Scientific Research Center was at Graham Lake. Uh, the, uh, an alien craft would come there. They would do all the analysis uh, uh, on the craft. And then eventually, when it decided uh, over a period of time that it's time to try to reinvert, uh, re, uh, reverse this, reverse engineer this, then the contractors would come in and take over. Interesting. Very interesting. It's 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 been some time, but when there was the Wilson leak, and that involved, uh, of course, Eric Davis, who has worked with Hal Putoff. I know a lot of people have tried to point fingers and debunk what, what is known as the Wilson leak, but it kind of uh, went into this area a little bit that we did have um, and had secured rever- craft of, of non-human origin. Do you have an opinion on the Wilson leak? Is is it verifiable? Do you believe there's any substance there? Well, when I was working for Dr. Putoff, Dr. Davis was there. He's probably one of the most brilliant mathematicians around. Uh, and uh, yes, I believe that the uh, the Wilson. Uh, I don't think it was a leak. Mm-hmm. I think there's a hard different story uh, that I would believe, but. Um, yeah, it's, it's all it's all factual. I, I, I don't I don't think this was uh, uh, a hoax or a disinformation or anything. As I think everything that was released was absolutely 100% factual. Yeah, I believe that too. Okay, glad I'm glad I'm glad uh, you said that. And um, I'm gonna step out on the limb a little further here and go into something that is is kind of difficult territory because. There are so many naysayers, and that is the theory that there is, um, well, 
I, I guess for lack of a better word, uh, a galactic federation. And we all know that the ex-Israeli space security chief, Haim Ashed, uh, came forward publicly when Donald Trump was in office and said that there was uh, something along these lines. And other individuals, such as a General Jeremiah Davis, has come forward. He's no longer with us, but this is someone who seems apparently to have been a real person. What have you heard, if anything, lending any credence to some sort of galactic federation or council? Uh during my time in uh, U.S. intelligence, uh, I never heard such a uh, uh, such a, uh, mm-hmm. a thing existed. I, I didn't know anything about. Of uh, course, I, I wasn't on the top of the uh, echelon of knowledge. I mean, I wasn't briefed into everything, so uh, we might we might have had something like uh, we knew about that, but I didn't know anything about it. And and jump to later on. Uh, uh, working for Dr. Putoff, uh, I'd heard that uh, rumor uh, in the lab there in Austin uh, by from a particular person who would be somebody that would know this. Uh, he mentioned it one time, although not in, um, I think it was in partly jest, but uh, I think he, uh, he brought it up. And the fact that he brought up that, I think there was the... Uh, uh, Galactic uh, Federation of Planets or something to that effect, he said. Uh, I, that kind of made me curious of whether, whether we actually have it. And then jump farther ahead. Um, I'm a uh, member of a, uh, a retired intelligence officer group. Uh, not just intelligence officers, but retired military people who work in intelligence and, and so forth. And there's there's a, 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 quite, a, quite a few people in our group, although they're, they're dying off, uh, unfortunately. Uh, they've, we've been around about uh, 20 years or so, a little over 20 years. And we're also involved in this disclosure. We're uh, mostly on the Senate side where we're trying to facilitate uh, getting whistleblowers and uh, people who had access to this program years ago. But, but going back to the Galactic Federation, uh, I... I heard in in a meeting in Washington D.C. about 2015. It was a it was sometime just before Thanksgiving of 2015. We had a meeting and we invited somebody into this meeting. And this person that we had come into this meeting uh, had been a former director of the uh, Defense Intelligence Agency, and he gave us this little briefing, uh, not not necessarily classified because we we didn't have any security clearance because uh, most of us. I mean. There are some higher-ranking people within our group that still had one. But anyway, he talked about this something. He said, what if we, what if we had have established or became a member of a Galactic Federation that, uh, where we can put our two cents in uh, against these uh, visiting ETs? He kind of speculated on his presentation, but uh, I think uh, – I kind of thought that he knew more than he was telling us. So that's, uh, that's what my knowledge is on the Galactic Federation. But during my time officially in classified documents, I've never seen anything mentioned about that. I appreciate that answer. That, that answers a lot of questions. And there's, there is some rhetoric coming out uh, from, from uh, one individual. This was some time ago. His name was Charles Richard. He was a 
Vice Admiral, I guess a deputy commander of U.S. Strategic Command known as STRATCOM, and he said that we are preparing for a conflict that extends into space. And he mentioned that there were elite military units, for lack of a better word, specializing in mock space warfare. And I guess they call them space aggressors. And these are individuals, I believe, uh, that play the bad guys, um, purportedly trying to um, mimic what it would be like to engage with these non-human entities. And these they're, they're literally called space aggressor squadrons. Uh, I believe they're headquartered um, at Shriver Air Force Base in Colorado. But have you heard anything about this pr- preparation uh, that we have, you know, to protect space assets and to protect, I guess, you know, us in, in, in case of, uh, of some sort of alien invasion. And the reason I ask this, I know Travis Taylor was getting a lot of, a lot of flack and given a hard time for saying that he was an expert in alien invasion. But when you look into this, it does seem as if U.S. military officials are in fact bolstering American defensive positions against a possible uh, concern. Well, yes, I know of a, uh, I mean, it's not, it's actually not something new. Uh, uh, there was, uh, when Delta Force was formed um, back in 1978, or 77, 78 time frame, um, one of the classified missions uh, was, uh, it had a number of mission statements. I don't know if you've ever been in the military or, but, uh, you establish uh, a unit and they have to have a mission, uh, a mission statement of what their mission is. And uh, Delta had uh, about 80% of their mission statement was classified. And then the other 20% just pertained to, uh, you know, protect the United States from terrorist groups and so forth and so on. And the other part of it pertains to uh, classified special pro- access programs, and one being protecting planet Earth. Now, I don't know what the actual uh, paragraph in that uh, mission statement that was classified fully stated, but one of the uh, uh, members uh, of, of Delta Force, original, original Delta unit, uh, who, who I know quite well, uh, worked with him. Uh, he's also, he's a scientist, actually, became a scientist later. Uh, um, he says that, yeah, it, it pertained to protecting Earth from an invasion. Um, but we've, we, uh, our group, have done a lot of research on that subject. And you can go back to 19, when Eisenhower was president. Uh, one of the things that Eisenhower said was that we have to protect uh, the United States from every single a threat that, that's imaginable. And um, uh, so the, the generals got together and, and listed on a p- piece of paper uh, everything that was imaginable, and one of them is a, an evasion from space. And, uh, and, and when they presented this to the Joint Chiefs of Staff, and this is, in the, in the, like I said, in the uh, 50s time frame, 
they agreed that what, what of course at that time period we had Project Blue Book going, uh, a lot of uh, UFO sightings all over the United States, in fact all over the world, uh, a lot of them around military bases, um, a lot of them uh, that were classified up to uh, some time ago that occurred around nuclear facilities. Um, Linda Moulton Howe did a really great piece on some uh, UFO sightings and landings that occurred at the Nevada test site right after a nuclear detonation, above ground nuclear detonation. So obviously there's interest. So all these things are going on, so the, the Pentagon tried to plan for everything, and they did have a plan for an evasion uh, from, from, from another planet. Uh, now, I don't know what that was. I don't know what the mission statements was. Uh, I don't know that it's still classified uh, Yankee, Alpha, White, or Black, or whatever uh, the classification the is, but we've had them over the years to prepare. And during the Reagan administration, one of the things, one of the essential elements of, of collection uh, for every single intelligence officer after Reagan came into office was threats, specific threats made by any type of extraterrestrial race. So that only told me, that told me and told our group of intelligence officers that Reagan had been briefed in to the same program that we were briefed into. And he knew the threat, and he mentioned it a number of times. Uh, so we do have, and another right thing that came up uh Last year, I went to uh, the U.K. for awakening in June and then also again in October. And I met an SAS officer, British SAS, was in a, a 22nd squadron. And um, he's retired, uh, been retired for a number of years. But he pulled me aside. He said, I, you know, I just I gave one, a presentation. He said, boy, I, I really, really, really enjoyed your presentation. But he said, I have something to, to talk to you about, but I want to do it in private. And I said, sure, we, we can go someplace. So we found a room, and we went in there, and, and he told me about uh, in 19, early 1980, um, a group of SAS personnel uh, was uh, transported without them knowing what they were doing from Hertford, where, where their training facility was, uh, near in Wales, up to the Ketland Islands. Uh, and I thought, well, another training exercise, they thought. But when they got up there, there was, there was United States Army personnel there. And one of the training sessions that they were going to through up there in Shetland Islands was uh, how, to, uh, how vulnerable extraterrestrials are and how to shoot them and, and different tactics like this. It, we were up there for 30 days training for uh, training on how to fight ET. And this is, the, this is the British Army, or at least the SAS, which is like their commandos. I'm sure you're probably aware of them. So this is, that's my knowledge about this subject uh, and, and that fact that we, I know we are prepared, and I know we probably have units within the 82nd Airborne, the 101st Airborne, uh, even Delta today, and probably other military special forces units such as the, the Tier 1 units, such as the SEALs and, and uh, Marine uh, Force Recon and uh, Air Force Special Tactics. So I'm sure that, that 
we have units uh, that can do that, or at least trained to do it. Mm -hmm. It's so interesting, and it's good to know that we are designating these these elite forces just just in case. And um, I want to ask you something a little bit off of the non-human entity uh, or the biologicals. And that is the possibility of drones or alien artificial intelligence being sent here. There's been a variety of researchers, astrophysicists, um, and the like who have kind of entered this arena. Avi Loeb is one of them. They believe that there is possibly remnants of this in the oceans. And could this be related to some of the transmedium craft that we're seeing which easily, you know, goes from ocean to air, air to ocean. And do you, do you have any information or have you heard of any evidence of these non-biologically driven, or in other words, uh, you know, artificial intelligence drones? Yes, I have. I've, I've heard a number of stories from people uh, who have contacted our group, their advanced working group, uh, a couple of whistleblowers, in fact, that we've facilitated and got to Washington uh, to uh, Senator Rubio's group to uh, uh, to testify, or at least they deposed him. Uh, and they have knowledge of recent knowledge of things that they've they found. Uh, and the interesting. Um, uh, you talk about the ocean, the deep ocean. There was a uh, a company, uh, I, can't re- I can't remember the name of it, but they were uh, replacing cables uh, under the ocean. And they would bring up cables, but they also had underwater submersibles that would go down unmanned. It would go down and they guide the wires uh, if they were on a rock or something. Anyways, and they were they were dealing in uh, uh, 16 to 20,000 feet. And they found remnants of a crash, and this is in the, uh, uh, I think it was a hundred or, or uh, northwest, I believe it was northwest or maybe northeast of Hawaii. Uh, anyway, uh, and this was, you know, 15 or 20 years ago, and they brought it up. They eventually got everything up uh, in a net, and it took them just some day, you know, four or five days to do it. And so they have it on the deck of the ship, and they don't know what it is. They have no idea what this thing is. Uh, some of it's broken. Some of it's not. But they decided to contact the United States Navy. So a Navy ship came uh, out from Pearl Harbor, I guess, or maybe it was in the area, and looked at the stuff and uh, took it. And so this guy is saying that the Navy uh, people told them, you, you just brought up a, a uh, extraterrestrial craft. We knew they were down there, but uh, you just brought it up. Uh, so uh, now the story jumps to this admiral who was a whistleblower, um, and he's uh, spoken to our group a number of times. Uh, he's spoken to uh, congressional investigators uh, in great length back in January of last year, uh, again in uh, June of last year, about Navy incidents. And when somebody talked to him about, do you know anything about any debris in the ocean floor? And he said, well, I can guarantee you at this particular location, and I don't remember if he gave the coordinates or what he, how he 
described it. But he did say at some distance north, either west or east of Hawaii, uh, our, one of our submarines uh, encountered one, and we shot it with a torpedo, three, three torpedoes, and we sunk it. But it was down well beyond our depth. We couldn't go down, uh, I think he said 20,000 feet. It landed up in the ocean floor, and there, there's no way that, that his submarine could go that deep. Uh, so he said, I know about that incident. Well, that corresponds with what they found in, in the bottom of the ocean floor some years before. So, uh, yes. Uh, I, and I also talked to a scientist, um, not Avi Loeb, but somebody that worked very closely with him mm-hmm. uh, about at a, at a UFO convention a few years ago, a couple years ago, uh, who talked in great length. In fact, he wanted to do a presentation uh, and and, and uh, Bob Brown is the, the person that runs the UFO convention. Very good friends with Bob. And I said, well, if you get if you get a, a PowerPoint or something, a presentation, I'll guarantee you I'll, I will facilitate it. I'll get with Bob, and you know the next UFO convention will 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 set you up. But the next year, which I think would have been 2020, 2020 we didn't have one because of the COVID. And then uh, when we had the last one. Uh, in 20 last year, uh, he declined. He said, I, I decided and I've had some people tell me I can't do it. Interesting. Okay. Okay. And this, this kind of, uh, you know, there's, there's so many directions we can go from here. Um, I'm just going to cut to the chase. I, in your best estimate, your best guess why are these non-human intelligences engaging with, with us? Is it a Zachariah Stitchin-like scenario where they're here for minerals or natural resources? Or is it more uh, about us as humans? Um, are we a strange resource or harvest? Or is it just curiosity? Well, we, we would have to, uh, I would have to go into each individual uh, extraterrestrial group. I, I, I don't know that there uh, any kind of federation between the five groups that I know of. And, I, and again, there may be a hundred more groups that we know about now. But uh, at least during our time, we think they had individual uh, reasons uh, and missions or goals to, to visit Earth. I think the Evans, uh, the one that crashed Roswell, the, the Eva that we had alive, he. Uh, I think he stated they were they were explorers, and they had visited Earth thousands of years ago, and they came back to kind of look and see how we're doing after the 2,000 years. Uh, but they were also interested in uh, human and human uh, uh, interaction, uh, genetics. Uh, now you jump to another race who are primarily responsible for abductions. Uh, they're interested in human. Uh, uh, embryos, uh, how our bodies or how a woman's body can produce a, a, a human, uh, things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the other groups that I don't know that we know what, why they're here. Some hostile groups, uh, you, you'd have to wonder why, why would they come, you know, uh, a million or a thousand light years or whatever, they, uh, how, wherever their planet is and, and harm us. I mean, I mean, it's like you know, stepping on an ant, or, or what do they, 
I, I just don't understand that, and I don't, I don't know that we know. Maybe there's somebody in our government that does know. I think that the the, the prophecy group that that used to be called the MJ12 group, I think they might know. They probably have more interaction with ETs than anybody else. And if there was a galactic, galactic federation, they would certainly know about it. But you know, I could just guess uh, why they why they would. But yet, five different groups, or maybe a hundred different groups now, and why they would come here. Uh, you know, what's ironic is they start showing up after we detonate a uh, nuclear weapon in the desert of New Mexico, the Trinity site. Mm-hmm. Uh, right after that, a few weeks later in August, there's five, uh, right around that area, there's five sightings of, of UFOs. Uh, a rancher in, in Bingham, New Mexico, uh, Houston, tell these stories, I'm long dead now, but about uh, going out and checking his cattle and, and he'd see these things flying all over the sky. And this was a, a few weeks, six to eight weeks after the detonation. So maybe that was some type of a signal that they saw and they became interested or worried that, my God, that planet down there has, has nuclear weapons or has some kind of weapon maybe they all don't know about, and they came down and tried to figure it out. Interesting. And I'm, I'm going to get a little bit weird here. <laughs> I know my questions are all over the place. I, I do find it fascinating that nuclear weapons seem to have a very integral part with at least uh, some of these visitations. But my next question is, is there a connection that you have found between the extraterrestrial enigma and the occult? And the reason I ask that is some researchers have pointed out a connection to the occult, which is undeniable throughout some connected to the advanced aerial threat identification program and previously in the military with obviously Jack Parson and um, the interesting connections to Thelema. Um, Is there, you know, some have claimed that those in the military who shut down ATIP due to quote unquote demons might have been spot on and not just ignorant religious zealots. I guess they call them now, many, many are calling them the Collins elite. But in your opinion, is there some sort of correlation or connection between the extraterrestrial enigma and those who follow or practice the occult? Well, um, there are some cases, and I can only rely on the cases. I don't necessarily uh, uh, believe in a lot of a lot of these stories that people are telling about demons, but there are cases where abductees uh, are seeing uh, demons. They don't call them extraterrestrials; they call them demons. They 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 seem to be uh, hideous demons that uh, try to put uh, these horrible thoughts in their minds of the abductee. Uh, there's two, two cases I know. Uh, that I was involved with it, where the abductee said this. This is back in the early 80s. Um, now, I'm not sure, and, and what, we do, what we did was we, we OSI had uh, psychologists, and, of course, they were, these people were analyzed by psychologists, and uh, I think the consensus was that these ETs could read a, a mind, read a human mind, and the most horrible things you got in your mind, they're going to come out and present to you as being real. 
And I kind of connect that with the demon, the demon uh, threat. Now, I haven't seen anything officially in any other documents. Uh, now, there are some um, some references to the uh, uh, ultra, not inter, but ultra-dimensional beings uh, that Dr. Putoff, I don't know if you've read his paper on that, but which is public. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, he, he wrote a, he wrote another paper that wasn't public, but he wrote the public paper is really good, uh, where he talked about ultra-dimensional beings uh, that when they appear, when they come out of the, their dimension and and, and into ours, uh, they would look like demons. They would they would scare the dickens out of anybody. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think if you relate and all these things. Uh, there are some people out there that believe, and I know one person in our group, uh, advanced working group, he's, he's a retired colonel, he fully believes that uh, these things uh, are connected to some sort of uh, uh, witchcraft or paranormal uh, 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 Satanism or something, and of course he's on the side of believing that maybe Satanist, Satan was in fact an alien, and so now Satan's believing, leading this alien race against against us, mm-hmm. which I don't believe that, but I'm just saying what what I've heard. But uh, I personally don't believe it. Uh, I think that the ETs are ETs. They come from another planet, uh, or they come from a, another dimension. But Dr. Putoff made a very interesting comment. He says, what if these ETs that are coming from a far distance away that might take them, you know, 10 months or a year to get to our planet, what if they come here now? They don't want to keep traveling back and forth, so they live not in our dimension, but they live in a. They're they're so advanced they can move from one dimension to another dimension. So they actually live in another dimension, and then when they want to come in and check us out, they come back in our dimension. Now I think that's more plausible than anything to do with demons. Yeah, yeah, I do too. And um, is is there any? In your opinion, this is also getting a little bit almost pre-biblical, but is there any reliable evidence that you've come across that verifies the uh, Sumerian and the Anunnaki uh, belief that these that these entities came from the skies and were possibly extraterrestrial? Um, Back in in Sumerian times, have you come across any anything that would be considered reliable evidence of that? The only reliable evidence that I know was that when Eva one was in our custody at Los Alamos, from forty seven to fifty two, he wrote down his uh, his alphabet or language or, or symbols uh, that that they used to communicate in writing, and. Um, and I think they've been deleted on the internet. Linda Howell had had her had them on our website because uh, Linda Howell actually spoke and interviewed the handling agent uh, of of Evil One uh, many years ago, back in the '80s. He was still alive, of course, dead now, and so she learned a lot from him. But um, if you take those symbols, uh, they look like symbols, but or or characters, and um, you connect and you can connect them to some things. Now, this interesting uh, incident that happened back in the uh, 19, uh, 1990s, um, a archaeological crew was in, in uh, Nepal, 
uh, at a, uh, a location in the western part of Nepal, and they uh, they were I don't know studying something or examining something. Not quite sure what their mission was, but they made it to this uh, really remote Buddhist monastery up in the mountains at like 10,000 feet. And in this um, at, at this monastery, they had this uh, encased uh, area. They had these tablets, uh, different types of tablets with with writing on it, uh, script and characters and so forth. And there there are six of them. In one of the tablets had the even alphabet or the even characters on it. Exactly the same. Mm. Exactly the same. So that tells me the Ebens were in Nepal or Tibet area uh, 2,000 years ago and, and were able to communicate and, some, and somehow they, somebody uh, got a hold of their language. Uh, now, what's ironic is some of the other the, the other five uh, they can't connect those languages here on Earth. They've looked all over. Uh, I don't. I'm now I'm not involved in the Anunnaki, uh, Sumerian. Uh, 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 I've never done any research on that, mm-hmm. and I, I've I've talked to people that have, but I haven't personally, so I'm not sure. But what fascinates me is if you go to these some of these petroglyphs. And you see, you look in a cave, and you see these things that these uh, cave people drew on the wall of a cave, uh, showing things in the sky, or some kind of creature on the ground with a big helmet on or a spacesuit. You got to wonder, my God! I mean, you know, we were talking five, seven, ten, twelve thousand years ago. We were be- they were being visited then by these things. Why would they paint those things on the wall and? And because they didn't obviously know what they were, uh, that that that's what amazes me. And I've I've done a lot of research, and I've went out to a lot of different sites here in New Mexico, uh, up in up in, uh, in Nevada. There's a site not far, not just outside the perimeter of of Nellis Tested Training Range. Uh, there's a rock, a huge rock with petroglyphs uh, uh, on it that shows space people. Uh, now the of course. Our Bell says when he was alive, he said somebody went out there and drew that uh, some years ago. It's not real. But when uh, the team from the University of uh, uh, Brigham Young University went down there to actually study this stuff, they said, no, this stuff's been here for thousands of years. Interesting. So yeah, there is there is something to that. And I agree 100% with what you said, the drawings, especially the more ancient ones, not only the rock art, but in, in some art itself, it's interesting that there are so many depictions of what people, uh, what, what we now call unidentified aerial phenomena. And it's not conspiratorial at all. It's, it's just a fact. And um, I, I wanted to ask you, this is, this is another very interesting thing that a- according to many of the reports, and there's thousands of them, a lot of the contactees and abductees seem to have a belief that these entities, um, 
want something almost intrinsic from them. I don't want to get into the whole soul science behind it, but have you heard anything arconically about some of these non-human intelligences that they're after something within us that we may not even be aware of? Uh, that's interesting, yes. Uh, there are scientists, uh, genetic uh, geneticists, um, that are in the UFO uh, community or the U.S. intelligence community uh, that study this, uh, primarily the Defense Intelligence Agency, uh, one of the one of the key people that talk about this all the time is that, uh, and he's a uh, uh, geneticist. Uh, he was an intelligence officer, and he, he, so he was a biologist first. And anyways, he's he's very highly trained. He he has the exact same belief that the ETs are harvesting something in our body that we don't even know what's in there. We don't know what they're harvesting. We think it's uh, embryo or we, or we think it's a tissue or uh, something uh, scraping of, of a woman's vaginal wall or uterus, something of that effect, or, or a fingernail. Or, but in actuality, they know more about us than we know about ourselves. And now they're after this particular mineral element, something that humans have uh, and then they need. And, and you're absolutely right that that's the theory, uh, that's one of the theories that is being pushed around by the Defense Intelligence Agency. Was it's, it's, it's something that we don't, we don't even think about, that we, we have in our system or in our bodies. So interesting. It, it, I'm just saying, it, yeah, I guess it's not as simple as, as you know, uh, putting it in plain terms because a, a lot of these things we're just unsure about. And um, getting to some of the things that uh, uh, you don't hear of Tom DeLong coming forward as often as he used to, but he did discuss some interesting things uh, when he spoke with intelligence officials and he had it pointed out to him that thousands of years ago, people would hear voices in their head or see a burning bush or see ancient texts. Um, the star of Bethlehem, for example, you know, was it a star or a craft? Have you come across anything? And, you know, that that story in particular, uh, you know, three wise men following a star to a particular area where a woman has an unnatural birth. This, these are all very ET topics if viewed from outside of the religious genre. What, what are your thoughts on this, or have you heard any evidence um, portraying ancient events to more of an extraterrestrial uh, capability or nature than, than biblical? Well, um, <laughs> I've heard many stories uh, and, and many analyses uh, uh, of the of the of the uh, birth of Jesus uh, and uh, whether Jesus was actually an even, uh, whether the uh, uh, the three wise men weren't really uh, they were they were a necessity uh, at the scene of the birth. Uh, that's why. Uh, this UFO guided them there. I mean, I've heard, I've heard many, 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 many stories. Um, I was raised a Catholic. 
uh, all my life. Uh, went to Catholic school, uh, the older boy, uh, spent one year in a monastery. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I have uh, a religious background, I, I could say. Mm-hmm. I went to a, uh, a religious college, although it was like Catholic college. It was a, a Pacific a Lutheran University. Uh, but I, I had, you were required to take so many uh, hours of, of religion and then theology. I thought theology was fantastic. I, I really enjoyed theology. It's basically philosophy, but in <clears throat> the belief of, 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 a, of a religion. But um, I have a friend who's a priest, a retired priest. He spent uh, uh, a number of years as a priest, uh, uh, had a parish. Uh, but as a young priest, right out of the seminary, uh, and he re- originally from back east in, in Pennsylvania, went to seminary in Holy Hill, Wisconsin, and he was, <clears throat> and then he uh, um, ended up at a, at a, a diocese around Worcester. Anyway, he, he uh, after his first or second year as a priest, he went to the Vatican, and he was a uh, uh, he was learning uh, with an aide there. Uh, he did research for different uh, cardinals who were at the Vatican. And he was working with one particular cardinal uh, that were out, was out of Spain uh, because this, he spoke Spanish, and the priest, my friend, spoke Spanish. And uh, he was doing the research project, and the, the cardinal said, you can go down in the library in the basement of the Vatican, and you can use all the different books and, and research material. So he was down there one day, and he was looking and, you know, looking at books and getting books from the caretakers or librarians down there. And then uh, the Cardinal asked for a, one particular uh, subject matter. And when he went up to the, cur- uh, the, the caretaker at the, in that library, the librarian said, well, no, 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 that's back in the, in the security area. Only you'd have to get the Pope's permission to go back there. So my friend, the priest, uh, Father Brogus was his name, uh, Father Brogan says, wow, I wonder what's back there. Uh, he had no interest in UFOs back there or anything like that. And he thought, wow, that must be the really, really, really dark secret. Maybe maybe Fatima and, 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 and things like that. So so he went out and told the Cardinal that, and the Cardinal says, no, 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 I'll take you down there. So the Cardinal goes down there with him, and then as, he, as they walk down this long hallway, he, they come up and there's two Swiss guards. Uh, standing there guarding this vault going into this room and and uh, the, 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 they wouldn't let the cardinal in. They said, no, sir, you can't get in. Uh, you know, you have to get this permit from so-and-so. And so cardinal, cardinal said, I've been there before. So why you can't get in there now? I'm sorry, it's our order. So cardinals will back up and, and our Father Brogus goes to work. And a couple of weeks later, the cardinal says, we got permission. We're going to go down there. So uh, they went down there, and one morning, Matt went down there and gave their permission to the, uh, the Swiss guards. They opened up, went down, went into the vault, and and all the way in the back, there's this monk sitting there. Here, Father Brogus walked right up on this guy. I didn't even realize there was somebody sitting there. And there's this monk that jumps up, and Father <laughs> Brogus says, I jumped probably five feet because I didn't think anybody was back here. Who would they lock in this place? And so uh, the cardinal apparently knew that somebody was in there, caretaker. So uh, the cardinal presented the monk with something uh, where what he wanted to see. 
So they guided him back, and 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 Father Rogan said there was there was rows and rows and rows and rows and rows of of, of documents, old documents, books, writings. I mean, you couldn't spend you could spend a thousand years and not re, you know read all of them. But he, as he was walking back there, he saw he saw one aisle that said in in Italian uh, extraterrestrial, and under it, it said uh, limited access. Mm. And he he went by it and he looked down the aisle and he when they went down and looked at whatever they were doing, and then the the, the monk went back up to the his desk and so <laughs> Father Brogus goes up because the the cardinal sitting there with whatever he was looking at. And so Father Brokus goes up and goes down that aisle. He said there's probably, you know, 60 to 70 feet of, of books on both sides. And it's all dealing with extraterrestrials. He said, I, I, I'm not sure if, and he's trying to think of any new Italian. So he's trying to think of Italian. Is, is it, there's just some other meaning to it. And then he stumbles up under this whole section that was in English. And so he started pulling these things out and just looking at these. And the reports that were made by the Vatican out of incidents that were happening all over the world, but it was they, they were being collected in English. And that's as far as he went. And he, so, you know, he went back and, he, you know, years later he tells me the story. And I said, what, what do you think? And this is like in the 60s, I think. I said, what do you think? that He said, the Vatican knows knows everything. Mm-hmm. They know everything. Wow. wow. So that's what I can relate to a religion and, and, and UFOs. That's pretty good. And uh, as, as we kind of start to wrap up, I wanted to ask you, in your opinion, I, I spoke with uh, someone fairly high in intelligence out of the East Coast, um, out of Maryland, and one day we were discussing threats to threats to our military, threats to our livelihood. And uh, it was a pretty deep discussion. And as the discussion was wrapping up, I asked him, I said, so is it mostly, you know, he said, there's some dark characters we have to be aware of. And I asked him, you know, is it, is it third world dictators? You know, what's our biggest threat? And he basically said, there's an enemy greater than that. And, and I guess this, this kind of goes into you know, OSAP, ATIP, and many other, many other projects which are trying to see and provide some kind of uh, protection against a threat which may be of non-human origin. And in your opinion, is that the largest threat that we have as human beings, or is there something else? Well, I think the, I, I say that would be number one. Um, I know of, of uh, I know of things I don't ever want to talk about that deals with a threat uh, that we knew about or we know about, and, and things that have happened that have harmed humans, uh, harmed military personnel, destroyed a submarine. Uh, you know, I, I know about things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and Reagan, uh, in the statement Reagan made, because he was briefed on an incident, and he knew that these, that we had also 
hostile uh, entities coming from space. And Carter, uh, you know the story, uh, his uh, uh, former uh, chief of staff tells is that uh, after he was in office for a few months, um, Stansfield Turner comes in with some guy, another another uh, intelligence officer, uh, and presented a document. But he told the president, uh, President Carter, you have to go to the skiff, and the, uh, and the East Wing has a skiff and White House uh, secure facility. And he, they went in there, and he read something, and Carter was crying. And he ended the day. He said, I got, I, "I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna work the rest of the day." But what did he read? I mean, I don't, I can't say for sure it was extraterrestrial, but I'm pretty sure it was. Because it affected Reagan the same way, uh, although he didn't cry, but but he was very, very, very upset. Um, so we we know uh, of of a threat uh, from above, and and one of one of the former members of our group uh, many years ago, uh, and he's also part of the Avery. I don't know if you knew what that was, but mm-hmm. I was in the Avery back early days, but the leader of the area was Richard Helms. And uh, I was sitting around a, uh, a little coffee room off a, a, a convention center, or not a convention center, but a meeting hall uh, that we were at. Uh, we were just taking a break. Uh, one of the intelligence officers to my left asked uh, Mr. Helms, he said, Mr. Helms, what the, who's the biggest threat? And the the intention, I think, was was that the uh, back then it was Soviet Union still around. This is like 1980, 81. Uh, is it Soviet or the Chinese? And Helms shook his head. I, he just shook his head and pointed in the air. Didn't say a word. Just pointed up in the air. <laughs> so he obviously knows something that that we didn't know. Now another thing that I, that I think we know, uh, some people know. Uh, within uh, the government, and I don't know for a fact, but I think they know that there's something going to happen in 2027. Mm-hmm. Now, there's this rumor. This guy follows uh, NASA like he he follows his his uh, two year old around. Uh, I mean, he's he's on that website uh, probably 20 hours a day. Anyway, maybe not 20, but he watches uh, Voyager 1 and Voyager 2. And he sees, uh, and before that, when we could still track Pioneer 10 and Pioneer 11, the four spacecrafts are way, way out there. Uh, we've lost contact with Pioneer 10, 11 back in 2003. And also New Horizons, which uh, took pictures of Pluto. Um he sees some very interesting things going on with those spacecrafts. Uh, what the most ironic part, and this doesn't have anything to do with what's going to happen, but he sees that the amount of time that it takes a signal to travel from Earth up to the satellite, which is about 22 hours to where they are now, sometimes only takes six hours. Now, how can we, how can that happen? <laughs> Wait a minute. 
did they did the spacecraft gain some kind of communications hours or or something or did we on the ground have something uh that can communicate can send a signal faster to the speed of light. And I think that's the case on that part of it. But anyways, uh, he's thinking that something Voyager 1 and 2 and, and now just recently New Horizon uh, uh, saw where there were cameras uh, that's heading towards Earth uh, that, that, that's worrying a lot of people. I think that's the second thing that, that, uh, that the government knows about. I don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's uh, you know some asteroid or or a whole alien in, uh, invasion fleet, or I, I don't know what it is, but uh, that 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 just uh, fascinates me. Amazing conversation, amazing things, and thanks so much for telling us about this. Because there there are a lot of people who believe that that's a possibility, and a lot of secret uh, projects that are warranted, at least apparently, into looking into it. Um, Mr. Doty, can't thank you enough for coming on. Thank you for your service as a former special agent for the AFOSI and for keeping us safe. Um, for listeners, do you have any upcoming projects or anything that you uh, would like to let them know or to keep keep in touch and keep up to date with what you have going on? Well, I work for Gaia uh, in Boulder. I have about 120 episodes that I've filmed in the last five years. I have some brand new episodes just airing uh, in, the, in this week. And I suggest if you're interested in the subject matters that we've discussed today on this show with Ryan, I, I would uh, highly recommend that you look at these episodes on Cosmic Disclosure with Emery Smith. Uh, and they will, uh, if you're interested in the subjects we discussed today, you'll be fascinated by but what I talk about on the shows. Uh, I'm traveling um, to Japan, uh, to uh, Denmark, Copenhagen uh, this fall uh, to, to, uh, uh, for uh, uh, lectures. Uh, one of my lectures at a Japanese university. Uh, that's going to be interesting because I don't speak any Japanese. <laughs> but I, I understand they all speak Japanese, English there. And then also in Denmark, they're gonna, we're going to have a UFO convention over there that I, I was uh, invited to as a, uh, as, as a guest. So uh, that's what my plans are for this fall. I, I hope to have another website up. Uh, I've had two, and they both were hacked. And now we have a more secure system with really advanced algorithms that uh, I understand. So I look for my uh, uh, website coming up in the very near future, and hopefully I'll have uh, at least one and possibly two books by, by Christmas time. Oh, that's exciting. That's exciting. And I appreciate all you do. Thanks so much for uh, such great answers to difficult questions. Thank you, Mr. Doty. Well, thank you for having me, Ryan. You have a great, great, great week. Man, I love talking to Richard Doty. My gosh, real life men in black, former special agent for the U.S. Air Force Office of Special Investigations. He's done it all. He's seen it all. He's been part of the aviary. He's seen reverse engineered craft. It's just good to talk to somebody that knows his stuff and he doesn't, he doesn't fluff up anything. If he doesn't know the answer, he says, I don't know. 
if he thinks it's fake, he says, I think that's uh, incorrect. I think that's a, a, a fake or hoax or whatever. And I really appreciate that about Richard Doty. You know, and sometimes he gets a hard time for having done his job, for being patriotic and doing a necessary job for the Office of Special Investigations. And as we know, counterintelligence is a difficult field to play, and it is not for everyone. It takes a special kind of person, and thank goodness for them, in my opinion. Counterintelligence is an important aspect of our military forces and call it what you will, disinformation, whatever you want to call it, it is important and it's in the mix and it's a vital part of intelligence. So if it keeps us safe at the end of the day, I think that's important. And I know that he has done his part for years and years, not only in the military, but also as a law enforcement officer and multiple other security positions a guy who needs no introduction. He has been at the heart and within the core of so many of the deepest mysteries regarding ufology. He's worked out at Area 51. He's seen things that are hard to explain and just a great guy to talk to. Please support Richard Doty and what he's doing over at Gaia. And if you have a chance, please head on over to HeroParanormal.com. For the price of a boutique cup of coffee a month, you can peek behind that paywall. And there's a ton of content back there. Also, uh, we've got some t-shirts over there too. And uh, Space Wolf Research t-shirts. And until next time, keep your eyes to the skies, feet on the ground. But don't forget to take a look around. Time machine, third eye feeling like an evising. Blast off, blast off, blast off, blast off. Come blast off in my time machine, third eye feeling like an evising. Blast off, blast off.